Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 16. You heard that right, 16 of The Bible Unmasked. So The Bible Unmasked, for those of you who this may be your first time actually viewing this, this is a years-long Bible study that Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church is doing with all of you. It is aired on Sunday night at 7.30, on YouTube and on PlantationSDA.tv. Our goal, as was mentioned earlier, is to read the entire Bible in 2021. There is a reading plan that we share weekly during the Sabbath service and on social media. And so we invite you to read with not only your family members, your friends, but your coworkers, your neighbors, And we also invite you to text your questions in advance to the number 954-388-8780. Again, that number is 954-388-8780. And our pastors and presenters will address these questions weekly. We also invite you to to subscribe to Plantation SDA Church's YouTube channel to be automatically notified of future episodes or any other live streams. For those of you who don't know me, and this is the first time you have met me, my name is Pastor Jennifer Hernandez, and tonight I have the privilege to host Principal Robert Stevenson, who will be answering our questions for this evening. Welcome, Principal Rob. How are we doing, guys? Nice to be here tonight. I always enjoy hosting with him. He has a wealth of knowledge to pass on to all of you. And so before we begin, um, let us start with prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time that we have to be able to open up your word, delve a little deeper, and get to know you, you who created us, you who know us from our innermost beings, Father. We thank you for the knowledge that you will impart upon us and for the greater understanding that we will glean from your word today. Thank you, Father, for your word and your promises. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so... Um, Principal Rob, could you take us through last week's reading of 2 Samuel chapter 12 all the way through 1 Kings 5 and just briefly remind us what we covered? Well, there was a lot of drama we covered, especially in 2 Samuel. Um, after uh, David's uh, flaming affair with Beersheba, we find his rebuke with Nath- by uh, the prophet Nathaniel in 12. Okay, and uh, that you've got to read that. That that is that is quite a, a a titillating bit of reading for anybody. As as Nathan helps David recognize the level of his sin, we then start getting into um, you know David had his issues as a parent, and we have an issue of David's son Amnon 
and Tamar and, and their tryst that is in there that um, absolutely tore the, the royal family apart. We then find Absalom gaining revenge on his brother for the rape of his sister. And mm. so we find that in, in uh, the also chapter 13. Again, we're talking about some serious stuff going on here. Um, we find Absalom then returning to uh, Jerusalem and starting pretty much campaigning to be the next king of Israel. Uh, we find then civil war in Israel as David's sons Absalom, this, this good-looking mm. young man with tremendous dreadlocks, um, causing the people to conspire against David. Um, David actually having to flee the capital city um, as, as, as Absalom's uh, people start... Um, start coming towards the city we see david as he's leaving the city being cursed by shemi um, for the terrible things that he has done and um and then we see how the uh the civil war uh goes uh, on until absalom is killed even though david tells his soldiers not to kill the son absalom joab Captain, the, the, the captain of Joab's or of captains of David's army um, goes around David and kills the young man. Probably a good idea, but very tragic for David. Mm -hmm. um, and so David then is able to return to Jerusalem and um, becomes the uh, the king again. Sheba rebels against David, and so there's another civil war that takes place. Um, talks about the uh, Gibeonites being avenged. Uh, David has wars against the Philistine. Theme uh, when we get the Philistines, and that's just an ongoing story with Israel. We'll, we'll, we'll discover. Um, we have David singing the song of praise for some victories. Um, then we have the death of David in 23 and his last words. Um, it talks about um, David's mighty warriors. And for those of you, it's interesting to read about these mighty warriors and what they did. David had some mighty men around him. What's interest, interesting is they were a group of, it was an international group of all different kinds of races and all different kinds of, of nationalities. These weren't just Israelites who were his mighty men, and it talks about the mighty things that he that he does, and that they that the mighty men were able to uh, to accomplish for David, and some tremendous stories. If you want to read stories of what these mighty men did, uh, great stuff to read. It talks about David building an altar finally uh, to worship and thank God. You know, David was a colorful character. Yes, he was. But despite his colorful life that he lived, he always had a heart for God and always wanted to make God happy and was always truly contrite when confronted with the things he did wrong. He made no excuses. He threw himself on God's mercy and asked for forgiveness, which is a good example for all of us that we can be seen righteous in God's sight if we truly come to him for forgiveness. Okay, in First Kings, okay, we uh, start finding out how challenging it was for Solomon to become king of, um, 
um, king of Israel. We we saw some revolts that he had to deal with. He had to deal with brothers of his who didn't see him as the rightful king. You've got to also realize that Solomon was the second child of Beersheba, who's, who King David had an affair with that got her pregnant. That first child died. Second child, Solomon, becomes yep. David's choice. Interesting stuff. I'm sure there was good discussions yes. last week on how all that worked out. Okay. And um, let's see, how far are we going here? We're going into David, David's charge to Solomon. It's 1 Kings 5. Okay, so we're at 1 Kings 2 right now. In 1 Kings 3, we have Solomon wisely asking for wisdom. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for power. He asked for wisdom. That, of course, was the right decision. And God blessed Solomon. Truly a heavenly download into Solomon's mind. You know, and, and that goes into, let's go a little further back. God does this three times in the scripture. First time was with Moses downloading tremendous amounts of information into Moses's brain when he meets Moses at the burning bush. Second time, Solomon downloaded. And when we get into the New Testament, you'll discover the third person that got the heavenly download was Paul. Okay? So look for that. Okay? So the Holy Spirit pouring information into people. I wish the Holy Spirit would do that for me sometime. I could really use it. Um, talks about how Solomon sets up his government in four, talks about Solomon's um, wisdom, and then in five, it talks about Solomon making plans to build the temple. If you remember going back, David wanted to build the temple. The Lord told David, no, you can't. You're a man of war, murder, and nastiness. I love you. You're forgiven, but somebody else has got to do the job. And so he moves on, and Solomon prepares to build the temple. And that's where we left off. That's verse 5. We're going to jump into verse 6. And I'm sure that Jennifer has some challenging questions to see if she can stump the chump tonight and see if we can get some uh, good answers to the good questions that you sent in this week. Thank you, Principal Rob, for getting us, giving us a brief overview of what was covered last week. Could you briefly, for our listeners and our viewers, just quick overview of what First Kings chapters 6 through 22 will look like before I get into our questions that our readers, our viewers have sent through. Well, 6, we're talking about Solomon's temple, Solomon's wisdom, um, and, and the plans that he had for the temple is what we're getting into in 6. Um, it also, in 7, talks about the fact that on top of building the temple, Solomon built a palace for himself, okay? Um, talks about the temple furnishings also and, and how the temple was furnished. It talks about the ark being brought to the temple. That was quite an amazing thing that was, that was there. Um, Solomon, in, in 8, Solomon's beautiful prayer of dedication, which, was, uh, which is definitely something worth reading, the dedication of the temple, which was an absolute powerful and, and, and supernatural event. Okay, with the with with God with God's glory uh, descending on Solomon's temple in verse nine, you'll read about that. It talks about the Queen of Sheba's visit, and that's a beautiful thing because Queen of Sheba she was the queen of what is now Ethiopia, we believe. 
okay? A very, very powerful ruler. Ruler Ethiopia is the one country in Africa that has always remained independent from colonization and has, mm. has been an independent nation and has a very ancient history. And so the Queen of Sheba there visiting Solomon. It talks about Solomon's splendor in 11 talks about all of Solomon's wives, okay? And so yes. we'll probably, I'm sure there'll be all kinds of wonderful questions about that. Talks about Solomon's adversaries. Talks about uh, Jeroboam, who rebels against Solomon and what happens there. And then it talks about Solomon's death at the end of 11. And then um, Israel's rebellion on 12 against Rehoboam. We'll just start with the questions. I'm going to tell our, our viewers now that we are going all the way through chapter 22. You have all sent in a plethora of beautiful questions. I can tell you now that I am almost sure that we won't get to all of them, but I will pick out the most exciting ones that I, I think will catch your interest. All right, Principal Rob, I am going to start in 1 Kings chapter 6. And we are looking, um, sorry, in, in um, 1 Kings chapter 7, uh, one in, 6 and 7, where it talks about how precisely the temple was built. And you, you see all the measurements, you see exactly the types of wood and so forth that um, the temple was made of. And the question here says, we saw in previous chapters that God gave specific instructions regarding the building of the temple. Here in passages in chapters six and seven, the passage details all of the features of the temple built by Solomon. Do we have to follow the same guidelines today when building a church? No, the, the churches and synagogues are not the temple. Um, the temple, um, we, we believe, especially as Seventh-day Adventists, it was actually a specific recreation of what the heavenly sanctuary is like in heaven. The temple had to be set up the way it was because you've got to understand that the, that the sacrifices weren't just random sacrifices. It was a reenactment of Christ's death and crucifixion for the sins of mankind. And so the, the, the dimensions and everything was specifically originally handed down from Moses, from God to Moses, and then were taken from those dimensions and then taken from taken and given to Solomon to make sure that that temple was the, the copy of what was in heaven. Now, after Christ's death, we are no longer bound to the sacrificial system because Christ fulfilled the reenactment that took place every single time somebody had to sacrifice a lamb, which represented Jesus Christ, for their sins. So a church can be any shape, size. It can be somebody's home. We can meet out in a field. If you've been like me and you've traveled overseas where, where you just have a, a roof and an open-air building where, where people are worshiping in, in Africa, South America, other areas where I've been, we are not bound to that exact same thing. We just need a structure that is safe to worship in. But because we are no longer reenacting Christ's sacrifice, and we, we, there is no longer a need for an earthly 
temple. Now there is a there are there are organizations who have built, um, especially the the original tabernacle, and they go around with that, setting it up to explain to people the power of the tabernacle service, which is beautiful. But that's not required anymore because Christ has fulfilled that particular element of our salvation, and now we have Christ to look forward to. Excellent. In chapter 7, verse 12, so we've seen what, what, what we have just read um, is the description of the temple, but now in chapter 7, verse 12, it mentions that Solomon, aside from the temple, built himself his own palace. It describes the Bible, the Bible describes Solomon as a wise man, yet he built himself a palace. In building himself a palace, was this an act of self-gratification? It, it, it may have been, but not just an act of self-gratification. You, you, you've got to understand that in, in modern times, uh, we have, have sort of made wealthy people feel guilty for their wealth. But mm. in, especially in ancient Israel, wealth was a sign of God's blessing. Okay? And so... And so, you know, wealthy people did have an obligation to help the poor and do all those kinds of things. But if they were able to do everything that God required, if they were faithful in their tithes and faithful in their offerings and were taking care of people the way they were supposed to, they could, they could go ahead and, and, and build a, a nice home or have multiple wives or all those things, you know, that 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 showed God's blessing in their lives. So when people came to Israel, imagine if people came to Israel and they said, you know, Solomon is, is the most wealthy, wise person, but he was living in a mud hut on the side of the road. Not necessarily mm. being able to show that he was blessed by God, okay? So this was just a symbol of God's blessing of him, God's blessing of Israel, God's blessing of his kingdom. So please, if you are a wealthy person, listen, I know I have personally met Mr. McKee, the owner of, 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 of Little Debbie. He pays a 90% time, a 90% time. Wow. But he's still able to live. And I will tell you that every single school in the Southern Union receives money from Little Debbie to help pay, to, to be able to take care of Christian education. Okay. But he lives in a lovely home. He can afford it but he's using his money wisely. He's paying a 90% tithe. And you listen to his testimony, it's powerful because he talks about the fact that when he first started, he was paying a 10% tithe and the Lord blessed him. He does, he, and then he decided if he paid a 50% tithe, would Lord bless him and his business exploded. He paid a 75% tithe, his business exploded again. And so he said he can't afford to pay any less than a 90% tithe to God because of the blessing he received as a result. So, 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 yes, Solomon built himself a temple, but it was to show the world that he was blessed by God. And it was part of his witness at his time, at that time, that Israel was blessed by God. And so when people came to visit him, they were able to come to a nice place that was representative of the God who blessed him. So that was a different time, a different culture, a different level of expectation. And so it, this, would, this was part of his ministry to do this. I am so glad you took it from that view because a, a lot of people like to take wealth from a, from a negative view. You know, people want to be wealthy. And then when, when, when they see 
someone's wealth, you know, in our culture today, people get jealous of it. And, yeah. and if, if a person has a beautiful mansion, um, their hands are out, you know, well, if you have a beautiful mansion, can I have, can I have some of that? And so forth. I'm so glad that you put it in that view and how it was back in biblical times as a sign of God's blessing toward him. All right. First Kings chapter eight um, brings us to verse Six. Then the priests carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The question is this, is there a holy place in our church building, and where is it? There is not a holy place in our church, because once Christ's, Christ was crucified, and Christ came to earth, God is with us, not in a place, but in our hearts now. If we are open to the Holy Spirit, therefore, there is not a holy place. And, and I will tell you, that, and, and, and this, is, this might get me in trouble, but, but you know, that's okay, it's exciting. There, there are some people who really think that the churches are sanctuaries like they were in ancient Israel. And, 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 and they're, they're, they're not. Okay, mm -hmm. a church is a place where we are to meet socially, where we are to fellowship and 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 um, and communicate and worship together in many, many, many different ways. Um, it is not as it is not the same prescribed service that was to mirror something that was going to happen in the future anymore. It, the church is now a place where we go to praise God. Okay, and and so things have changed very, very much. And so, so there are some people, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story real quick. When, when I was in a different conference far away from Florida, um, I made the mistake one summer, first time I preached in this church, it was a new location, and I preached, and it was summertime, and there wasn't a special music. I said, this Sabbath for special music, let's do something different. Let's have everybody in the church hug the person next to you. This was pre-COVID. Hug the person next to you. And, and say, happy Sabbath, I'm glad you're here, let's praise the Lord with our love for each other. I had some of the oh, dear no. souls get up, march out of the church, because I defiled the sanctuary. Well, I hate to break it to you, the church is not the sanctuary, okay? It's the place where we are to come together and praise God. Um, and so things have changed. Christ's death Wait, 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 pause. Let's pause real quick. They... They walked out because you asked them to hug each other? Indeed. Not everybody, just a few, because what I didn't know, because I wasn't on the church board at that time, that they had voted at the church board, unbeknownst to me, the poor guest who was there to preach, that there will be no fellowship in the sanctuary, as they called it, that all fellowship had to be reserved for the lobby of the church. Yes. So I was a heathen. Oh. Um, and that stuff happens. I'm, I wish I was making it up. But, but no, this is not the sanctuary. God does not live in a building anymore. Mm -hmm. God abides in the heart of his church. And we, the members of the church, which means a higher level of responsibility because we become the, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, which means everything we do, everything we say, everything we eat and put in our bodies, we need to make sure we take care of because it's not in a building anymore. It's in our hearts. Just laying that out there for you. Beautiful. No, you're right. I remember running around at church when I was little and we would run up, uh, you know, run up um, onto the platform and man, 
my aunties and uncles and elders of the church clapped us down and said, no, 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 that's a holy place. You can't be up there. We're looking around like this, I mean, this spot, why is it holy? Because that's where, you know, all our preachers preach and um, everyone who's a part of the program says, that's a holy place. You can't be up there. And wow, we were never pulled off that platform so quickly, but it's amazing that these parts of our cultures are still, people are still having a hard time understanding what the sanctuary is. Wow, all right, moving on to chapter nine. So that question came from chapter eight. In 1 Kings 9, verse four, it reads, as for you, if you will follow me with integrity and godliness, as David, your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations. Now that was the verse. The question pertaining to this verse goes, did David really, truly follow God with integrity? Didn't he disobey his commands more than once and murder Uriah to steal his wife? What does it mean to follow God with integrity? Can we live a life of sin like David and still serve God with integrity. All right. So David did some dastardly deeds. Yes, he did. But what makes David um, a, a man after God's heart is he was impulsive. He struggled with that. But when he was confronted with his sin, he confessed and asked for forgiveness. Um, we, we need to understand that, that, that when, when we later on get to Hebrews, David is listed as one yes. of the powerful men of faith in the book of Hebrews. Look for that as you start reading forward. Yes. Make a little note. Look for David in Hebrews. Look for it there. That, 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 that David's contrite heart. Listen, Saul was a pretty good king. But when he was confronted with what he did wrong, he always tried to make excuses for it. Okay? That's mm -hmm. the big difference between David and Saul, okay? Saul tried to get ahead of God. Saul, Saul thought, tried to put himself ahead of God. When you do that, you're in trouble. David never did that. So, so, so the reality is, friends, that when we are confronted with our sin by God, and in some cases, you know, we, we, in, the last, in the last chapter, we saw how, how David was confronted by a prophet, and he realized, hey, man, the jig is up. Yeah. I have sinned. I have done wrong. Mm -hmm. Make no excuses. He accepted his sin. He accepted his punishment. He said, okay, I have sinned. Let's make it right. Okay. So, so that's what made David a man of God's own heart. Let, let's be honest, friends. We all sin in many different ways. And some of us sin secretly and nobody knows about it. Some of us carry sins in our heart that, that nobody sees. So, so some of us carry inconsistencies constantly. We're not going to make it unless we are willing to confess and ask for forgiveness and make no excuses. This is a sin in my life. I need to take care of it. I need to give it over to God and I need to allow Jesus to cleanse me. And that's what made David a man of God's heart. Not his perfection, but his true love for God and his his speed to repentance when confronted with his sin. And this is why they called him a man after God's own heart. That's correct. And why he served God with integrity. 
moving on to chapter 11 and looking at verse 13 we are talking about solomon's many wives so the question is asked like this week after week the presenters us have argued that although biblical characters had many wives and concubines polygamy was not commanded by the bible here in chapter 11 verse 13 the passage clearly indicates that god was angry at solomon for being involved with foreign women however however it does not suggest that god was upset that solomon had many wives so it was okay to be to be dabbling with women that were foreign but it doesn't it doesn't say that god was upset that he had many wives david had many wives and concubines but was described as a man who followed god with integrity boom we we tend to be harsh with those who commit adultery and engage in polygamous practices can i have a wife and mistress and still serve god with integrity isn't monogamy a legal and cultural matter rather than a biblical command? Woo, right at you, bro. All right, we, we've, we've covered this one before. Okay, in, in ancient times, women were property. I hate to break it to you, ladies, but yes, we women were. were property, okay? The, the next thing is, in, in the case of Solomon particularly, women were also uh, the, the, the daughters of the local kings were also part of, of, of sealing political agreements. Because, mm -hmm. because what happens is when you give somebody your daughter to marry, she becomes leveraged should that king ever want to wage war on your country. Okay, so yes. as Solomon goes around and makes compacts with, and peace, and, and agreements with all the kings around Israel, Solomon really expanded the property, uh, the, 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 the influence of Israel. In fact, Israel never ne was never as great again after Solomon. Many of his wives were a result of, 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 of political maneuvering. And when those kings gave Solomon their daughters, that was a guarantee that would, they would not wage war against Israel, because if they did, Solomon could have their daughters killed. Okay, so it, it so many of his wives were were were, pol, were were political. We live in a different time now. Women are free agents. Women are not considered property. Women are not bought and sold. Thank God. Okay, and so things have changed since the old test the Old Testament times. In fact, by the time even Christ comes along, but you know. Pretty much people were monogamous. They didn't have multiple wives. You don't hear about a lot of people, you know, even 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 um, even the kings at that time. When they talk about Herod and, and, and how, you know, he, he they don't talk about Herod having multiple wives. Okay? Right. They don't talk about it. The, the, the culture changed over time. OK, so in, in, in these times, the, the culture was very, very different. Women were were more property was there love between husbands and wife sure we see we we see that obviously um 
this was a real weakness for Solomon. And when you when you read what what Ellen White talks about Solomon, Solomon actually was accused of becoming quite effeminate over time because he spent too much time with the ladies. Okay, uh -huh. so it, it was an issue. He had a thousand wives. That's a lot of women to keep happy. And so it actually affected it actually affected his effect um, because he became. He, he became a bit of a twinkle toes as a result, okay? So, 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 so it, it was a bit of an issue, okay? It was a bit of an issue for him. We also know that, that he built places of worship for his foreign wives, okay? Um, that was an issue, and that's why God was upset, was that Solomon, um, so, so, so Solomon allowed for the worship, and even some of his children were, were sacrificed to foreign gods. Mm -hmm because of that mm -hmm. that was definitely cause for condemnation um and so and and it's also interesting because th th this is is a a fair warning to all of us who think we want to marry outside of our faith i will tell you i know very few people whether you're an adventist or not who married people outside of their faith for whom that wasn't a constant thorn of trouble for their marriage okay and, and so that was a thorn. It brought conflict to Israel. It, it definitely did not paint Solomon in a positive light. And so the polygamy itself wasn't a problem during, during, at, at that time in the world's history. It wasn't. Concubines were not a problem at that time in the world's history, okay? Our understanding of the value of women has changed over time. I would not recommend any fool have more than one wife. One is more than enough to keep track of, okay? Um, but the culture has changed and our expectation has changed. And so let's not yes. use the Bible as an excuse to go out and have polygamous relationships. That, that is not the deal because you can't go out and buy a wife, okay? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, you can't. That's not how it works nowadays, thank God. Okay. Although I've got a pretty good looking daughter. No, no, that's okay. Um, but, 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 <laughs> but, but, but she, she affects a pretty penny, but, 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 but we don't do that. Our culture has changed for the better, I believe. And, and so since our culture has become more enlightened when it comes to women's rights, let's respect our women, show respect for our women by being true, loyal, and monogamous to our women and our wives amen let me let me slip another question in there regarding wives and marriage because i believe this question may i could be wrong i believe this question may or may not have come from a young adult um they're looking at first kings 11 1 to 2 and where we're talking about solomon's foreign wives um it says the lord had clearly instructed the people of israel you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods yet solomon insisted on loving them anyway the question is what is the sda church's position on marriage between an adventist and a non-adventist our church does not encourage the marriage of a non-adventist in fact um, if Adventist pastors are following the, the, the um, expectations of their denominational leaders, they won't even conduct a wedding in an Adventist church unless 
both individuals are Seventh-day Adventists. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some pastors who don't follow that, and that's unfortunate. Um, and, and, and the reason is, is very clear, okay? And again, it doesn't matter what your religion is. A, a Muslim marrying a Christian, there's going to be problems in that relationship. Um, you know, a, a, you know. Yes. What what day are you going to worship? What God are you going to worship? When, when are you going to go to church together? It's very lonely. I mean, I, I have my own family members who have chosen to marry outside of the church, and I see the wives going to church alone without their husbands. Okay, mm -hmm. that that's awfully hard. And those husbands are going to church alone without their wives, or. One weekend they'll go together to the Sunday church, and the other weekend they'll mm. go together to the to the to the Sabbath church, which then creates a great deal of confusion for the children. Yes. And 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 marriage is hard enough under the best of circumstances. You know, everybody says once you get married, it's all happily ever after, and little birdies singing and, and little hearts floating around the house. No, marriage is hard work. And when you add that element to it on top of it, when you're both pulling in the same direction spiritually growing together spiritually and growing together in relationship to God in the same direction, that gives you one more thing to pull you together. When you're pulling in different directions spiritually, that's one more thing to pull you apart. And there's a ton of stuff to pull you apart when you're married. So, so that's our church's stance. And that's my stance, guys. If you yes. choose to marry somebody who isn't, I will still love you and I will still love them. But the chances are it isn't going to end well. Thank you very much. All right, moving on to chapter 13. I'm going to read some verses, um, verses 18, 19, and 21 through 24, because I had to read this myself several times. I had forgotten about this part of the story, and this, this still intrigues me, and I, I love how it pans out. But there's a question after this, so let me, let me first start with the verses. So we are reading from... 1 Kings 13, starting with verse 18. And it goes like this. The old prophet answered, I am a prophet too, just as you are. And an angel gave me this command from the Lord. Bring him home with you so he can have something to eat and drink. But the old man was lying to him. So they went back together and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. He cried out to the man of God, from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defiled the word of the Lord and have disobeyed the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back to this place and ate and drank where he told you not to eat or drink. And because of this, your body will not be buried in the grave of your ancestors. After the man had finished eating and drinking, the old prophet saddled his own donkey for him and the man of God started off again. But as he was traveling along, a lion came out and killed him. His body lay there on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Intriguing, intriguing verses there. The question comes, why did God punish the man of God when it was the old prophet who tricked him into believing that his message was from God? Why was the prophet punished and killed? I think this is a good cautionary tale for all of us. Be careful who you believe. You know, we're living at a time where there's plenty of fake news out there. Loads of it. We've got the internet full of it. And if you believe the wrong thing, you can be lost. Let's just, let's just make that perfectly plain. If God tells you specifically what to do, and anybody comes and tells you, no, 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 things have changed, unless you hear it 
directly from God. Yes. Don't take anybody else's word for it. He was a prophet. The guy I was mean, a prophet. The other old man was a prophet. Yep. The other old man was a prophet. you got to hear it from God. When God gives you a message, if it's going to change, you hear it from God himself. Yes. Okay. you got to realize, and we, we learn in, in, in here, here in the Old Testament, that just because a prophet is somebody is a good guy one day it doesn't mean he's a good guy the next you know uh, king saul prophesied early on in his reign okay when you when, when we read about king saul being identified as the next king and he went with prophets and he prophesied and all this groovy stuff he ended up being a problem okay so just because somebody was a prophet back in the day doesn't mean he's representing god now when you hear somebody saying anything contrary to a command that God has given you, make sure you hear directly from God that it's been changed. Um, because if you step out of that, you will be fooled. And you can be fooled all the way to missing out on the kingdom of heaven. So, so beware. Be wary. And make sure you don't follow everything that you hear, especially on the internet, but even in the news, or, or, or even for, if, if you hear a pastor getting up and preaching something and it isn't in line with what the scripture says, mm, question it. Walk away. Yeah, and walk away. That's right. Yep. All right, we move on to chapter 14. And it's another slight reading. We're looking at verses 7 through 10. And this is at, this, at the part where it goes, Give your husband, Jeroboam, this message from the Lord, the God of Israel. I promoted you from the ranks of the common people and made you ruler over my people, Israel. I ripped the kingdom away from the family of David and gave it to you, Jeroboam. But you have not been like my servant, David, who obeyed my commands and followed me with all his heart and always did whatever I wanted. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made other gods for yourself and have made me furious with your golden calves. Since you have turned your back on me, I will bring disaster on your dynasty and will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I will burn up your royal dynasty as one burns up trash until it is all gone. Harsh. And the question goes like this, if God knew, and he did know that Jeroboam would disobey him, why did God make Jeroboam king anyway? That's, that, that is a great question. Million dollar question. Million dollar question. You know, you asked the same thing about Saul. Why did God, you know, t timing is everything. And I think God uses who is available to try to move his agenda forward. Um, but, you know, right. and I've, I've got to be very, very careful here. Um, God always gives mankind the, the power of choice. And this is going to be controversial. And, I, and, and you've got to excuse me. And this might be heretical. So if you think it's heretical, um, you know, just, just uh, start throwing darts at my picture. But... Uh, <laughs> but I'm not in, I believe that God knows the beginning and the end. Mm -hmm. But as you read the Bible, ask yourself this question. Does God know every single detail that's going to happen in between? He gives us choices. 
and we can choose to follow him or not. If God, when he created Adam and Eve, knew that they were going to sin, mm. why did he change his creation just a little bit so that they wouldn't? Because mm. God gave us the power of choice, okay? And so Jeroboam had all of the potential of being a great ruler. But once he get, received the power given to him by God, he chose poorly, okay? And, and as, as was described, sin beyond what God anticipated um, and made very poor choices to the point where God had to obliterate anybody in his dynasty, mm. uh, which, which is pretty harsh. So, so, so when God gives us the power of choice, that means that God doesn't manipulate beforehand because if God knew beforehand what was going to happen, he would deny us our power of choice. And mm -hmm. so again, I believe God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has set what's going to happen in the future. In the future, uh, he knows how this world is going to end. He know knows how it was, he he began. He sent his son to save us. He gives us the power of choice in between. But every single detail, he leaves us choices, and then he makes plans for the decisions we make. Now, you may argue against me. You may think I'm stark raving mad. But as you read the scripture, you'll see that there tends to be a great deal of support for what I'm saying here. Okay. That's a good answer. Thank you. We come to 1 Kings 14, verses 12 to 13. And... It reads, there, then Ahijah said to Jeroboam's wife, go on home, and when you enter the city, the child will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only member of your family who will have a proper burial. For this child, this child, let's underline this, is the only good thing that the Lord, the God of Israel, sees in the entire family of Jeroboam. Therefore, the question is, if this child was the only good thing that God saw in Jeroboam's family, why did God kill him? Because what would happen to that poor child after God's sentence of having every single male offspring in that family had been wiped out. Um, that child would have left, would have been left to live in utter misery and poverty for the rest of his life. Um, you've got to also understand that to God, death isn't the end. Mm -hmm. Okay? That allowing this child in mercy not to have to live with the legacy of his relatives mm. was actually the 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 more um, the, the, the 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 kinder thing to do. So so again, from our perspective, and, and you know, as as human beings, we tend to cling tenaciously to life, um, not realizing that we have an eternal God who offers us eternity later, and sometimes. The, the current circumstances, the Lord may in his kindness lay us to rest, okay? Mm -hmm. His kindness. And this child, obviously innocent, obviously has potential for eternal salvation. If we rest in, in, in the knowledge of the resurrection, 
That's not the worst thing that'll ever happen to us. Mm, yes, amen. First Kings chapter 17. We're moving on down now. We're almost on the home stretch. First King chapter 17, verse 22 reads, The Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. The question is, there are many biblical accounts of the dead being revived. Why can't we revive the dead and perform similar miracles today? Great question. Nice. And I don't have a pat answer for that. Mm -hmm. But there aren't a lot of situations where this happened. Okay? This is the only time in the... No. Yeah, it only happened twice in the Old Testament. Okay? Elijah and then Elisha. Okay? Uh, um, were able to to um, pray pray that the Lord would return life to two young boys. Okay, and I don't have a, a a clean answer for you. Okay, except that when it when God needs to do something, He does. Okay, mm. and there are times when it needs to happen. Christ was on when Christ was on this earth. He didn't raise a whole bunch of people from the dead. Okay, there were only a couple, and that was Christ himself. Okay, only two, two, store, two, two accounts. He had Lazarus, and then the the head of the synagogue's daughter. Yes. Okay, those, those were the two cases that we see. It, it doesn't happen very often, and it happens to make a point. And and we have to have full trust in God that that He will do what He needs to do. And sometimes when we ask for a dead relative to be raised from the dead we don't realize really what we're asking for okay and and again life isn't always the best answer okay mm -hmm. when the next thing we do when we're raised from the dead is to be in the kingdom of heaven to be raised to be in this wretched miserable earth again i'm not entirely sure that's a good deal okay mm -hmm. might be but not necessarily okay um uh, and, and so in, in these cases, there were specific um, cultural and, and necessities that needed to take place. Um, and, and so, you know, when, when Elijah raised this child, this was the woman who had built the upper room, who had taken care of him, who, who had, and this child was, it was a miracle child to start with in the way he was born. And, and so there was a special relationship between this woman and Elijah and with God. Um, and, and so the, the, this miracle was, was a very special set of circumstances. And it's not entirely impossible that these same circumstances may be set up again sometime for somebody. But again, we're raising mm -hmm. somebody to live in a miserable world as opposed to sleeping in Jesus Christ and recognizing that at his second coming, there will be a resurrection where we're not raising them to die again. Uh, mm -hmm. I guarantee you, this kid is not still alive wandering around on the earth, okay? This child lived to a, a whatever the a, old, next older age is, and he still died, okay? So, so right now we are looking more for the resurrection of the dead at the second coming, and sometimes we are selfishly asking, for this person to be raised. But what if somebody died in Jesus Christ, was raised, and then did not make good decisions after that? Mm -hmm. Okay? So we've got to trust God. We've got to trust God when we ask, when, when, when we pray for things, and we've got to accept his answer, even if it's not the answer we want. 
um, yes. when it comes to that. So, 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 so that 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 is my my answer. It it might not be the answer you want to hear, and it might and and I will definitely say that's a tough question. It is. The way I, I'm able to make peace with that myself is to understand it from that perspective. All right. Moving on to chapter 19, in verse 4, it reads, Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Does this, the question that arises from this verse is, does this passage suggest that Elijah was depressed? Ooh, mental health question. Absolutely. And being somebody with a, with a psychology degree, I'll say yes. He was not only depressed, he was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. If you read the story before of what he had gone through, the amount of stress he was under, the fact that the Bible says he he killed 500 people. Mm -hmm. And he just didn't like stand with a gun and shoot them. When you mm -hmm. kill people, you got close and That's your responsibility. Okay, when, when he killed those prophets of Baal, he, he then, physically exhausted, runs ahead of the king's chariot all the way back to the capital, capital city in a pouring rain. Now he's physically exhausted. He's gone through one of the most the highest highs and the lowest lows, and then he's anticipating that Jezebel is now going to accept the fact that, that, that Yahweh is the one true God, and she calls for his death. That was not the result he was anticipating. He mm. was discouraged. He was exhausted. He had gone through a day like none of us could possibly imagine. And yes, he was discouraged. He was depressed. He was expecting all of Israel to rise up and yes. follow Yahweh after, 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 after he had to go camping in the wilderness and living in a stranger's house and everything he had just gone through. And so, yes, he was struggling. And I, 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 will, I will tell you that, friends, because, because we need to make sure that we take care of our pastors. Our pastors deal with stuff as they work for God. And sometimes we think just because they're working for God, they're bulletproof. But I will tell you, friends, that working for God is hard work. God demands a lot of us. It will drain us. And, and, and he was exhausted. He was drained. This is the guy who is considered to be the greatest prophet ever of Israel. And so then this is also important because God intervened directly to help set him straight and help recenter him and let him know that he still had some work for him to do. Um, and so for those of us who are in ministry and, 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 and are doing great things for God, don't think just because you've done a great thing that you're going to be walking on cloud nine. Oh. You find that after that, you are crashing, struggling. And yes. I will tell you personally, after I preached on Sabbath, I'm exhausted, okay? Yes. I poured myself out. And this Sabbath, I haven't had a break yet. I've been going straight. I, I preached a sermon. I went to a baptism. I got home just in time to walk my dogs, and now I'm here, okay? And I'm going to need to crash. And we've got to understand that we, we, we've got to respect our people who are our spiritual leaders, that they go through highs and lows, sometimes greater 
than we do who sit in, in, in the pews. And we've got to recognize that when it happens, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of our humanity. And God can be there for us. And we need to be there for each other when we go through these challenging times. And it's okay to be depressed. It's not yeah. it's not a wrong thing to be depressed. It's okay to seek it's okay to seek counseling for yes. help, professional help. I mean, we have so many resources available to us and we're not using them because we are afraid of the stigma that will surround us once we tap into that to help us. That's crazy. It's around it's a backwards um thinking, but it is okay to say that we are struggling and depressed and so forth and so this is a perfect example for elijah who was i'm sure there are other characters in the bible that we can see have mental health issues but moving along to our last question in verse 20 chapter 21 verse 29 and the verse reads like this do you see how ahab has humbled himself before me because he has done this i will not do what i promised during his lifetime it will happen to his sons. I will destroy his dynasty. Why did God spare Ahab who had sinned, but punished his children who weren't responsible for his actions? Well, this is why it's important to be a good parent and role model for your children. Mm. Okay. Uh, you know, Ahab, he confessed. He came to God. That's a good thing. God will forgive. We're going to understand sometimes. Sometimes the foolish things we do as parents, our children have to carry the burden for that. You've got to understand that Ahab's children weren't just his children. They were the children of Jezebel. Make sure that when you get married, you marry a good woman. Because they, she will have a great deal to do with training up your children and teaching them right from wrong. Mm. It, it, it's, not, it's, it's not impossible <laughs> for even a regular person, let alone God, who understands human psychology a whole lot better than any of us do, to be able to look at Ahab's kids and say, Ahab had a good come-to-God moment, but these little guys are not going to. And so out of, out, of the, the, um, out of kindness to my people, Israel, we're going to end, end that. And there's some great battles and stuff you're going to read about that, 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 that are coming up in that area. But, um, but Ahab's line needed to be ended because mm -hmm. Ahab as a parent, as a father, as, as, as the wife who he chose and his leadership of Israel poisoned his children's ability to be effective leaders in the future. Um, and so, no, his line needed to be ended, unfortunately, because of that. Wow. This has been, these last few chapters have been, woo, tough. Tough stuff. Very tough. Um, but we need to hear, we need to know, we need to understand. This brings us to the end of our questions. Thank you, all of you, for sending such challenging questions for us to be able to look through and delve deeper into. Um, next week, we invite you to read 2 Kings chapters 1 through 18. 2 Kings chapters 1 through 18. And please text your questions to 954-388-8780. 
Again, that number is 954-388-8780. And read, read through this daily, not just once, because when you read through it again, you'll get a little bit more clarity, and then maybe even again. And by the time you come to our next Bible Unmasked, you'll be brimming with things that you want to know. And so go ahead and not only read daily, um, but have your family read with you. Next week's presenter and host is Pastor Dexter and his lovely wife, wife Liz. And so we are looking forward to that. Principal Rob, what are we expecting in our up upcoming chapters for Second Kings 2, chapters 1 through 18? Don't give out all, don't give out all the good stuff. Okay, so Second Kings 2. Let's see. Let, let's see what we got. Good stuff here. So we see the transition from Elijah being the head prophet of Israel to Elisha becoming the prophet is head prophet of Israel. Um, we see Elisha's. Uh, we see Elijah taken to heaven. Okay, and 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 that that is that is quite a dramatic story um, because he is only uh, one of two earthly beings okay and we'll later see as we read uh, through the gospels that he came back to earth to visit jesus christ and and to encourage him just prior to his uh, crucifixion um we see the miracles of elisha we see uh and there, there are many of them too too many too too many to go through and i don't want to be a spoiler alert but there's a widow that get help gets helping help helped out with uh with olive oil, we get the woman of Shinim who is restored. We get this, the story of the little maid and Naaman with the constant battle between the Syrian Empire and the Israelites. One of my favorite stories. I preach a wicked story, a, a wicked story. sermon on that. One of my favorite sermons that I get to preach. We get to see um, the laws of do. physics. We get to see the laws of, of, of physics be turned on its head with an axe head floating on the water. Um, we we see some incredible uh, wars that take place and some amazing victories in Israel. There's some great history, guys. You're going to enjoy this reading. You know, this is not your regular blah 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 stuff. Okay, <laughs> this is not exciting, exciting stuff. This is not so and so begat so and so and begat. You know, and got toe fung no toenail fungus. And this is not those kinds of stories. These are great and interesting stories. You're going to want to read. Um, um, you know, there's all kinds of murders and palace intrigue. We, we learn about how Jehu kills Jeroboam. Cool stuff, guys. You're going to want to read this stuff. This is great historical knowledge, all kinds of murders and wars and bloodshed. Men, you're going to enjoy this the most because this is the kind of stuff you love to see made into a movie. This is good stuff, guys. So please, pick up your Bibles and read it. I guarantee you, once you start, you're not going to want to put it down because this is interesting, cool, bloody, vengeful, miraculous, wonderful stuff all tied into just one reading. So please pick up your Bibles and read it, guys. This is good stuff. I, I guarantee you, if you're disappointed, send, it, send me a note. Say, man, this is the most boring stuff ever. It's not going to be. This is exciting stuff. Pick up your Bible and read it. The, the book of First and Second Kings, great stuff. Looking forward to some great questions. And uh, so, so keep on reading, please. You know, 
If I would find those chapters boring, I would have to ask Rob to read it through with me so that he will point out all the excitingness that's going to be coming. Thank you, Rob, for host for being our presenter tonight. For our viewers, you can see why I truly enjoy hosting with Principal Rob because he brings such a plethora of knowledge and passion and excitement to the Word of God. Thank you, Principal Rob, for, for doing all that you did this evening. Thank you, viewers, for joining us for our 16th episode of Bible Unmasked. Remember, please subscribe if you haven't yet to Plantation SDA Church's YouTube channel to be automatically notified of future episodes or any other live streams. Don't forget to text your questions to 954-388-8780. On behalf of Rob and myself, we bid you all adieu. We thank you for joining us. And Rob, could you please close us out in prayer? Yes, my pleasure. Father in heaven, thank you so much for um, joining us in our discussion today. I pray, Lord, please, that if um, any of the answers were according to your will, that your people will discover it, read it out, and let me know so that we can all set each other straight and keep each other uh, walking the path with you. Father, build our faith as we read your word day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible and Must. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible and Must.